So for part two of the interview, Donald, I really wanted to touch on something that you, I think it was in the buildup to Lights Out 7, which all the races had been good, right? But I don't know that there were any that had the, the spectacular explosive buzz of Lights Out 7. So let's go back to Lights Out 7 and just kind of, I would love to hear kind of what was going through your mind when you were hearing about the, the cars being backed up down the interstate and just, and what do we, what do we, what do we make of that whole situation? Was that a stars and moon aligning type of deal? Well, I think that, you know, obviously the, the weather plays, obviously the weather plays a huge impact on anybody's event out there. Um, more so ours, I think that we, we've been, we, we kept sitting there going, you know, if we could get, we're like one great weather weekend away from having, you know, something great happen. And then, you know, we, they're just, everybody was coming to the event and, you know, what we learned was is that we really didn't know what we were doing when it came to working gates and, and having things open like they should have been, you know, um, we learned a lot from that race as far as, you know, how to, um, how to make sure we had three gates open instead of one gate open, which causes a lot of heartache and people backed up across train tracks and, and out to the interstates and stuff like that. But it was a feeling I'm glad that I'm glad to have been part of it. I, you know, it's something that, um, you know, that I definitely look back on and, and was like, man, you know, holy cow, you know, it was just, it was phenomenal. It really was special, man. I remember pulling into that place. I got stuck in line. I was, I thought I got there plenty early and I remember rolling through, uh, Adele or Cecil, whatever the little town there is with the railroad tracks running through it. Which one is that? Cecil. So I'm going into Cecil and I'm, I'm headed up on that exit and I'm seeing like traffic is completely stopped. And I think to myself, no way this is all for the race. Like I've, I've been here before what's going on. And it was for the race and it was just, it was pandemonium, man. And I remember finally getting close to the track, getting in there and I parked over on the circle track. I parked on like the, the bank of turn three and it was still asphalt. Then I actually kind of missed that, but I parked at the bank of turn three. I get out of the car and it was, it was just insane the energy like there was just people everywhere and there was this buzz and like you said you were frantic and everybody was frantic like oh my god what in the hell have we gotten ourselves into and I'm sure that there is a certain amount of it that's just learning how to put on an event at that level and and running the gates and getting people in and being more efficient or whatever but there really was something crazy. And I remember the day after Friday night. So Saturday morning, the same situation. I think I got to the track a little earlier, like way earlier trying to avoid the traffic, but I got there and I walked around. I think I did one of my, my silly selfie videos and just talked about, it felt like the day after Woodstock, there were like tumbleweeds blowing through the place. There's trash. I mean, it literally looked like a, a massive, bomb had gone off just from the people it was insane man i don't know still to this day i don't know that i've ever really experienced anything like that at a drag race you know when you wake up the next day from one of those things where it is like that it's uh it really is crazy you know you you open a door your trailer you look out and you're like what in the hell just happened here and um it was man it was definitely something that um you know, I was out there. I'm trying to park cars as fast as I can. And, you know, Jason Miller was there from MIR. He was down there trying to help us. And we were trying to get change for the gate. And, and Jason Miller had to take his little motor scooter and buzz all the way down the side of the uh, the roads over to the interstate there to meet up with one of our people that had the money for the gate to be able to get change to people. It so, was insane, uh, man. It really was. It was It was a magical thing to see happen. And I'm curious because one of the conversations you had, you and I had immediately following that was you had kind of some belief. We had talked about there's things come and go. Everything has a life cycle. Trends come and go. And you were, you were kind of biding your time. You told me that you didn't know how much life was left in this deal and how much life was left in radial racing. You knew that it would exist, obviously, but the growth year after year and the excitement level here we are however many years later the 10th we're just a few weeks removed from the 10th anniversary of lights out and 
it seems like this thing's only gaining steam. I was worried a couple of years ago. It felt like the car counts were plateauing and I wasn't sure how many people were going to come out for the radio versus the world deal. But we talked about this in the, in the first part of our interview, but I'm just curious if we could kind of continue down the road of what, what it is that's keeping this thing going like it is, because there was a moment where it seemed like it was starting to settle. And then all of a sudden it's, it's taken off again. I can't believe the car count you had at both the sweet 16 and it lights out for radio versus the world. I really thought the competition level, the three sixties, the three seventies, all this, I thought it would run people off, but it absolutely hasn't. Well, and I thought the same thing. I'm going to be honest with you. When, once you get down to a certain ET, you know, you would think at some point you're going to have people sit there and go, um, you know, holy cow, you know, this is something that I can't compete with. Um, I'll tell you what I think helps, though, Wes. It's like, you know, it's like um, people fly in the flag for all the different combinations. So if you have, you know, Marcus Burton, and Stevie Jackson come out, and we talked about this other day, if you, if you have a nitrous combination and it can run up front, or you have a, a pro charger combination – and it can run up front or turn. I think that as long as somebody sees that their combination can run up front, that I think that still gives everybody hope that if they have that combination, that there is potential for them to get there. I think that that's for me. I've talked a lot about like the multi-purpose door slammer opportunity that exists now. And, and I don't think has ever existed before. Cause one of the things that has really hurt drag racing in the past has been, kind of like the bastardization of rules all across the country, right? They, you know, outlaw 10, five is another fantastic example that it's a great example for almost everything that's happened in drag racing, good and bad, but you, they would change the rules on the East coast and they would run different rules in Texas and run different rules in California. And if a guy built a car in Texas, he, you know, an outlaw 10, five car, and he lived in Dallas, for instance, he may only be able to race that car in Texas because the rules are different on the East coast or the rules are different in the Northeast and the rules are different on the West coast. So I think this situation that exists right now, and there's probably no better example than someone like Stevie Jackson in the shadow 2.0, the last couple of years, you go to Rick Jones, you build a, a pro mod car, 112, 110, 112 inch wheelbase pro mod car, right? Carbon body deal. You can literally go race that car a ton. You can go run three times a year at your events for huge money. You could go run NMCA Extreme Pro Mod. You could go run PDRA Pro Boost or Pro Nitrous. You can go run NHRA Pro Mod. You can go run Northeast Outlaw Pro Mod. You can run the wheels off that thing. And I think when you're spending this kind of money and you're buying a $100,000 engine and you're buying a $180,000 chassis and you've got this truck and trailer, I think you want the opportunity to race that thing a lot. And I think that's part of the magic of your events, we talked about a little bit, but the somewhat open rules where you can basically find a way to bring about anything and enter it into RVW. Well, I think you have a universal thing. It's like you said, I mean, they could, they can leave there and, you know, they can go run, you know, I mean, I think Stevie, you know, Stevie ran the shadow in an actual, you know, in NHRA pro mod, right? I mean, he, he ran he that won car Indy. there. He won the most yeah, prestigious so. drag race in the world with a car that they built to run him and Phil Schuler yeah, built it, to run radials. So you can run it. Like you said, it, I think that it gives people that option. You know, they're not, you know, look at, um, uh, Reidenbach's deal. You know what I mean? If you look at his car, I mean, you know, he goes and runs, he can run PDRA pro boost, you know, uh, pro mod stuff, you know, he can come over and, you know, win radio versus the world with it. So they're not limited. You don't have to go run however many races, but you have the opportunity by changing some wheels and tires and shocks. And uh, I just think it gives everybody that extra opportunity to, uh, and then you, you know, you still have people like, you know, Mark Mickey with, you know, a, a big square block going down the track. That's, it's still competitive in RVW. You know, you got Brad Edwards out there going, you know, with a stock type suspension going three sixties out there, you know, also. So, I mean, it's, it gives you that variety. I think is what it is. Wes, the variety of being able to do whatever. Do you have any fear? One of the things that I think a lot of people in our industry have pointed to as part of, I've referred to your events, all of them kind of collectively as lightning in a bottle. It's as, it's literally, it's something special that I'm glad that I've had the opportunity to witness really from it's from day one. 
but one of the things that everybody have has talked about being part of the recipe for success down there is cars that look like cars, right? You just talked about, you know, Mark Mickey's 78 Malibu, he and Jason Carter's legendary blue Malibu. I mean, that thing literally, I don't know, looks anything different than a bone stock one does other than sets lower. Then you've got guys like Tim Slavens with a car that if you didn't know any better, you'd think that thing was in the six Oh index, right? I mean, that literally Absolutely. looks like a, a street type car. Do you think, do you have any fear? Honestly, as we, I looked back at the sweet 16, we had a a shot heard around the world, 3.694 second bump spot. And 10 of the 16 cars that qualified were pro mod chassis cars. Now, granted 10 and 10 to six isn't terrible, but it does, in my opinion, identify a trend. Is that something that concerns you at all or no? Yeah, it does because you know, here's the here's the deal. I I don't personally think there's that much difference in how fast one can go in the other. But what happens is is that if people seem like it's easier to go buy something like that or have it built, um, they'll go do that. So and and maybe that option of being able to run it like what you're saying uh, you know, you made a great point. You know, why would, like, say, instead of building another car like Mark Mickey or Tim Slavens, you know, you got somebody can say, hey, listen, I'm going to build a car, but do I want a car that can just run RVW or a stock-type class, or should I build more of a full-chassis pro-mod-style car, and then I can run multiple times a year. So it's kind of one of those, I don't really know if one is that much quicker than the other one, it, but what you said, the, the versatility and the you know universalness of being able to use it, I think is more, I don't think the class is just turning into a pro-mod-chassis class. I think that it's allowing people to do more things with their car. It's why I think the, the real deal is. I agree a hundred percent, man. And I think it's, it's exciting. Really. The fact that I don't, I don't know personally that I think it's a bad thing because what I'm seeing really, this is something that I've argued since day one. And we have touched on this a little bit, but if just to kind of point at drag illustrator, for instance, I'm staring at the wall of my office as we record this and I see all these poster prints of magazine covers along the wall and it's Lizzie Musi, it's Ricky Smith, it's Jason Scruggs, it's John Force, it's Kevin Mullins and the list goes on and Steve Petty and I'm thinking to myself, it really does, in my opinion, you get the right people and it doesn't matter if they're on tricycles or twin turbo pro mods, it's exciting man and I think that what I'm excited about is the opportunity to continue to see the best drag racers that our sport has to offer this wildly diverse group of people. I mean, you have, let's be honest, we have some elite wealthy people that come down to Valdosta every year and throw their hat in the ring. But then we have some guys that are on shoestring budgets, guys that are pulling parts out of junkyards trying to make this thing work. And I think that that is way more the secret sauce. Of course, the action has to be good. The cars have to be fast. They have to be wild and crazy. That has to be there. No question. But I'm excited, man, because as more pro mod cars get in, get involved in this deal, I'm excited at the prospect of seeing some PDRA stars and some NHRA stars and some pro mod heavy hitters. How cool would it be to show up at lights out 11 or 12 and see a Jason Scruggs or to see a Lizzie Musi on the qualifying sheet or to see a Ricky Smith or to see a Jay Cox. I think that's fantastic. And I don't really care what kind of car they're in. And, and I don't either. You know, let me tell you something. If Jay Cox and Lizzie Musi and Tommy Franklin, and them, all those guys, I would love to have all those guys. I think they bring a whole nother level of, you know, characters and just, you know, and, you know, I don't want to say money, but they, they're bringing some more elite products in there to come and race. And it just makes the, you know, we were talking earlier, you know, about competition and stuff. And the competition, let's face it, if you have Pat Musi versus Jay Cox, you know, Lizzie Musi versus Jay Cox and Pat Musi out there tuning her car for a radio versus the world title against Stevie Jackson and, and Dwayne Mills and Mark Mickey. I mean, to me, you know, they would be, I mean, they would bump the stock up in radio versus the world, you know, racing like, you know, $20, $20 a share, you know what I'm saying? Just bringing them guys in there. It's, it, um, it would, I would love to see it, you know, and that's what I would like to see. And, and that's why, 
Like, I beat up on those guys, but it's like I respect everything that they do. You know, the whole pro nitrous deal and, and pro boost over there and, and all that stuff, you know, those guys, man, they're smart. The women, the men, everybody. And, you know, to have them come out and compete in a different class, you know, it would be awesome. You know, I, I heard on your show that I kind of saw um, – I didn't get a chance to hear it all, but I kind of saw where, you know, Pat Musi said, you know, that – he was completely against the street outlaw deal, but yet I see him wanting to go over there and he's going to help Lizzie now, you know, with that deal or whatever to, to go as fast as she can go. So, you know, I think that, um, I think hopefully that, you know, one day we'll get Pat, you know, on board to come over and hang out with us over there. I hope so because maybe it just takes him a little while, right? There's this, one of the things that, and, and you have done a really good job with it. And everybody that's involved with your race, as far as setting the rules, I know you brought Roger Conley on in 2019. That's a really big deal. And, and John Sears has obviously been a huge part of everything you've done down there in Valdosta for years and years and years. But I think all those different power adders, it's just, it, it's like representing a different country, right? It's like soccer or something. And it's Mexico versus Germany versus USA. I mean, the turbo versus blower versus nitrous thing. That's so important. It's so, it's such a big part of it. And I kind of look at pro nitrous and this isn't a derogatory thing, but it's kind of like just America versus America. You know what I mean? It's a soccer game and it's really good soccer and it's the best soccer players in the world, but it just, it's missing that investment part of it where people get invested. They're, they're, they're flying their flag and there's a little bit of it with the different engine builders and the different chassis builders and the different tuners and so on and so forth. But I think when I look at events like yours and when i look at i think that's the secret sauce with nhra pro mod right now i really do i think it's the turbos versus the blowers versus the nitrous cars and this this thought out there that we may have pro chargers in the mix at some point in the future that's an important part of all this stuff that's a part of drag racing everybody kind of wants to do things their own way and having that like if i could literally snap my fingers and make one change with you know the pdra or anybody like that any other organization, you got to run all these cars together. You got to do the work. You got to fight whatever battle. And I know it's hard and I know it's extremely hard to maintain the parody and it's, it's so difficult, but man, it's just what's required. In my opinion, if you're going to create something that's exciting, if you're going to create something that has massive fanfare and gets a lot of people involved, you got to have all those different countries represented. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, you know, like you said, you know, you, I know over there in, in pro nitrous, you know, you have basically, you know, Charlie Buck, you know, versus Pat Musi. But what what we need is Pat Musi and Charlie Buck versus Steve Petty and Proline. And, you know, we we need the, the boosted stuff versus the nitrous of like what, exactly what you're saying. You know, I want to see, you know, Jamie Miller and, and Steve Petty and, you know, all these guys on the boosted side versus Pat Musi you know, and Charlie Buck and, you know, and Sonny Leonard or whoever on the other side, you know, that would take everything to that, you know, to that next level also for what we're doing. You it's know, a Royal Rumble, it, right, man? I mean, that's really what yeah. it is. It's a Royal Rumble. And it's so I know we keep going back to the pro wrestling stuff, but it is, man. I mean, you need Eddie Guerrero, but you also need the big show, right? You need the, the little Latino guy doing a backflip and then you need the huge behemoth elephantitis dude doing choke slams. I mean, you need all those different styles represented because it just, what it does is it every time there's a little difference or a little nuance, that's something that someone out in the world can latch onto, right? It's just something that somebody can become a fan of. You know, and, and, and this is the thing. I, when I listen to your show, uh, you know, Pat Meese said, you know, that he doesn't look, he doesn't look back. He only looks forward to keep trying to improve and make things better. You know, and by him saying that, I think that if he would give that radial thing a little try, you know, and, and, and maybe change his ways just a little bit, you know, I think the extra that it would bring to maybe his business and the whole sport of, you know, racing, you know, door car racing, I think that he would help. He could help propel everything to the next level. He's old school. I know he, you know, he's back in the, the old days. I just, I wish he would, you know, step out just a little bit and come over there. And I think that his success would be extremely well. I think he would do extremely well. I do too, man. And I, I hope 
I truly believe that we're going to see some of these guys. It's it's my hope that we see a Jay Cox, a Lizzie Musi, a Tommy Franklin, a Jason Harris. I think Jason Harris could surprise some folks. That's a really good racer right there. I think that if some of those guys gave your deal a try, they would be surprised because there's more to it than, and I want to touch on this next, but it's just an exciting event to be a part of, man. I mean, it's an exciting place to race and we all want to, we all want to have fun. We all want to enjoy these things we go to. And you can tell when you're at lights out or the sweets, the sweet 16 has a really unique vibe. No mercy has it as well, but it's just, you feel like you're doing something. You're part of something special, man. And these guys deserve to have to experience that and feel that. And I want to kind of transition here to the promotion side. A lot of people that, The last few years, one of the things I think that I've seen that's been interesting to watch is tons of people, young and old, have dived into the promotion game, right? There's all sorts of people putting on no prep races, putting on radio races, putting on pro mod races all across the East Coast and down throughout the Southeast. There's tons of racing events going on in 2019, and I'm just curious if you could give us a little bit of just some insight as to your promotional style, I think is obviously brash and outspoken. But the thing that I noticed that people maybe don't realize is what I see above all is consistency. You don't really take any days off with this. I mean, it's, there's hardly a day goes by that you're not thinking a sponsor, that you're not making a post about a racer, that you're not stirring something up. Is that I mean, has that been part of your strategy since day one, just to stay in front of people? Because that's kind of what I notice is that you just stay on it year round. I think that if I think that anything that, you know, they say, and obviously it's not always proven, but they say that if you go out there and you practice as much or harder than anybody else, you'll be right there as good as anybody else. You know, they say that about basketball, golfing, whatever. Obviously, they're all going to, you know, they all have, you know, certain things that are going to make them above average. What do they say? It's like the 10,000 hours thing, right? Yes. If you spend 10,000 hours doing something, you can be a pro. Right. You can be a pro. You you know, you might not be Tiger Woods, but you're going to be really good, you know, at whatever it is that you're doing. And and I kind of feel like the promote. I feel like I'm. No, I don't have like I don't have a business like say Drag Illustrated has. You know what I mean? But I, I guess I feel like I'm all in as far as like if I'm gonna do something, I want to do it to the best of my ability. And I think that to do that, you know, you have to be all in on something. And so for me, you know, I have to keep you know shoving it down everybody's throat, you know, or or causing some kind of controversy, or at least. At least for them to say, hey, you know, Duck posted this, Duck posted that, you know, whatever. And you, you want to be able to, like you say, you want to be able to stay ahead of the curve and stuff. And so that's what I always try to do, you know. I'm always sitting there thinking, you know, I'll be out on my mower. Mow. I, sometimes I put on my headphones and go out on my mower just to think about things while I'm driving around, you know, because my mind is always going just like yours is. Look at all the things that you come up with. You know, it's the same thing. I think that somebody – who puts this first in their life is going to, you're going to come up with some ideas. They might not all be great ideas, but you're going to come up with a bunch of stuff. to right. try. You got to swing the bat, right? I mean, you got to swing yeah. the bat a lot. I'm curious, what is your take on the thing that I've often been surprised by is that, I mean, Brian Loans is a prime example. I don't know how he does it. Brian Loans is kind of the newfound voice of the NHRA. He's also a, a big part of your events up in the announcer deck alongside Lee Sebring. But Brian, he he is, has this ability to kind of pay attention to everything. He knows what's going on in nostalgia racing, radio racing, stock racing, NHRA top fuel or whatever. But when I talk to you, I mean, you're you have blinders on and I've often found found it kind of interesting that you pay no mind to nitro racing. You pay no mind to bracket racing. You are laser focused on radial racing. And here you are at the at the top of the at the top of the heap. You know, you're at your top of your game. And it's funny. There's a there's this quote from Lil Wayne, the rapper that I always thought was funny. He only listens to his own music. That's what he would tell people that he doesn't. He literally he would he said this on an interview on like a New York radio station one time. And I thought it was so funny. He doesn't listen to other rappers. He doesn't listen to rock and roll. He doesn't listen to Elvis. He listens to his own music. And I thought, you know what? 
Duck's kind of like that. He literally only listens to his own music, and it seems to work. Well, you know, <laughs> I never exactly thought of it like you're saying. But, yes, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you probably. Honestly, I couldn't tell you one top fuel driver's name. You know, that, <laughs> I think that's awesome. I, I mean, think it's awesome. I, I mean, I. I think like what's it, Antoine Brown or something? <laughs> or something. Antron, Antron Brown. That's so but funny. I, but I know, you know, and I know that you know, in a funny car, um, you know, I would have to say John Force. You know what I'm saying? But besides him, I I couldn't tell you. But I just, you know, I, I don't know. Like you said, maybe I'm just focused on like it's kind of like Outlaw Ten Five. The only time I would even give one care about Outlaw 10.5 is if I know one of my radio guys is trying to go down there and kick their teeth in. You know what I'm saying? If I got, if, if I hear that, you know, I got a guy on radios out there, Ken Cartuccio, the serial killer, heading into Outlaw 10.5, now you got my attention. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm going to stay on everybody's ass until they know. But as far as anybody else, I couldn't know. You're right. I, I couldn't tell you. And it's not that. I don't know. I, I don't know what it is, but you're right. I have I have not watched a NHRA episode on TV. None against it. I just haven't watched any any race at all probably in two or three years. Beyond so that that kind of that's a fantastic segue because we've talked about obviously we've identified the WWE and the WWF, but where do you look for inspiration? I mean, is it literally just all inside your head or you and Linko, you know, having late night conversations or where do you well, look for inspiration? Yeah. I mean, man, me and him will talk and, you know, we get on there and, you know, obviously we can't post the things that me and him talk about because we're just bashing everybody, me and him talking on the phone. So we go back and forth and then all of a sudden one of us will say something stupid or if we laugh at each other, then we know it's pretty funny. So we'll, uh, and then, and then we'll move on or I'll be, he mows also for, he has a big lawn landscaping deal. So he'll be out too thinking about stupid things. And so, you know, we'll run them by each other. Maybe, mo- maybe we, mowing grass is the secret sauce. Hey, I'm going to send a hey, note man. to the NHRA and I'm going to tell him yeah. that, Hey man, you need to put your, your marketing guy on a lawnmower in a hurry, put some headphones on him and, and have him spend some time by himself. But it's funny that you mentioned that because some of my best, I, there's it's I live way away from like a major airport. So every time I travel, which is a lot like 30 plus times a year, I've got to make a three hour drive to or fro the airport. And that's literally where like all my best ideas happen because I, I try hard not to take any phone calls just to kind of either listen to music or drive in silence. And it and, seems and like I, that's I'll, where all my good and bad ideas come from. Yeah. I bet you that there's been a time when you've been driving there and think of something and kind of giggle to yourself, haven't you? And when you do that, and then when you do that, you're like, Hey, that's a pretty good idea. (laughs) And so that's, you know, but the thing is, is that because we live and breathe what we're doing though, Wes, is that your mind is always going to be racing or thinking when you're not, you know, I mean, obviously you got your family and all your stuff, but when you're, when you're going somewhere and your mind is just racing the whole time, you're going to get a million things that run through your mind or when you're laying there at night just before you're going to bed and you're thinking, thinking, thinking. And all of a sudden, like, I have to, I don't know how you are, but like if I'm on the mower or, or if I'm laying there in bed, fixing the bed and I think of something, I actually have to text it to myself in a phone because the next day I might wake up and forget about that, you know, and I'll, and I'll be like, man, that was a great idea, but I can't remember what it was. I go through and the so, same thing, man. And it's hard. The thing that sometimes I think that I struggle with is it's hard on your family because that's I'm consumed with this stuff. And I, I think about it day and night, late and early on the weekends. There's no, it takes a lot for me to really disconnect from it. I try, I mean, my wife and I will go on vacation, we'll go to Mexico or whatever, and it'll take me two or three days to, to quit thinking about drag racing. It's almost embarrassing or or the different stuff that we have going on. How hard is it on your family? And I think you're probably, you know, lucky and well, it's probably a blessing and a curse that you've got Stephanie, your wife involved because now she's probably getting eaten up with it, but maybe it's easier because she's not driven as crazy by it. I don't know. Yeah. She loves to have the time off. Like where me and you, like 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll look at the time off, but it's like I'm always thinking, and so I, I always want to, you know, keep it going because I feel like that's what I need to do to do to do my best job. Well, with her, you know, she needs that break. You know, now when she jumps in there, she's in there. But, you know, she needs that. Look. I wish I could take the time off that she does, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, she has her other competitions and stuff. So, you know, she has something else with me, you know, I got, I got racing, racing and some rental properties, you know what I mean? Right, so it's like, right. I have to, you know, and so I'm, you know, I'm, and, and you're right though. You want to be like, I want to be good at what I do, Wes. I mean, just because I come on there and portray an idiot on there, doesn't, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I, I want to be good. I don't want to let myself down or let, you know, let down the racers or, or, you know, fans and, you know, whoever else sponsors. So I want to try to come up with, you know, with other good ideas that, or the, what I feel are good ideas. Some of them suck, but, you know, I want to come up with stuff and, and try to make it better. And, you know, obviously it makes yourself feel good if you do come up with a, a good idea. And, you know, I mean, listen, I'm going to tell you one that was just a, kick square in the cojones right here. So, so I came up and, and I thought that I had came up with something that was just like taking this to the next level. I'm going to tell you what it is. Cause Stephanie laughed, Stephanie laughs at me about this. So I'm going to go ahead and, and break down what happened. So I'm sitting there, you know, you're going to the Gators game or FSU game. And they always got those flags that, that go on to the side windows of the cars. And oh, it's yeah. like, you, know, you, you come, there's like 30 FSU or Florida Gators or Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And you're like, you know, like, Oh man. So I was sitting around going, man, you know, that's what I want to see. I want to see these guys come rolling into the deal there. So I had Salvato, you know, get the flags all made up with a radial tire car to the front and the duck X on it. And I'm all pumped up. I spent $3,500 on flags, right? <laughs> I can't give them away to put them on the freaking cars. I, dude, like, it's so funny. I have, it's so funny because I thought like my hilarious, I've had those too. I did those number one qualifier shirts and yeah. I thought it was the funniest thing, right? It's sarcastic. Like I'm an, you know, I'm a number one qualifier in life and everything I do, number one qualifier. Right. And I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. We sold seven of them. Well, right, and it's remember just, when because you had them around and gave it to Haney and Stevie and them, didn't you? At the race that time, yeah. And I thought it was so funny because I thought it would I be something that, awesome. like, we were going to do this deal where I was going to give those shirts out every time I was at a race and someone qualified number one. I was going to make this big deal out of giving it to them, and it was kind of like I'm a. I'm, I'm like a positive, I liken myself a positive guy. Like I have my moments when I get down in the dumps and my wife has to kind of kick me in the ass or whatever. But for the most part, I try to be like an eternally optimistic, upbeat, happy, positive guy. Right. And I thought that it would be kind of a cool, I'm not trying to sound silly, but like an inspiring thing. Like, Hey man, strive to be number one, believe in yourself. Right. And, and you know, Hey, number one, I even made, I made a positive thinking pack. That's what I was calling it. It was a two t-shirt pack. One was one said number one qualifier and the other said points leader. And I thought it was so funny because, you know, and I wore them all the time, like points leader, people be like, what are you points leader? Points leader. What's that? I'm like, yeah, in life, baby, I got all of them. Right. Points yeah. leader in life. Number one qualifier in life, you know, and yeah. the same thing, dude. I thought it was the funniest. The 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 is a tongue in cheek thing. I sold seven of them. It, and it's but you well, know what? Those I, you got to do that. Right. I mean, because I thought the flags were a good idea, too. I figured you'd sell hey, the hell out of them. You, you beat my flags by one. <laughs> I sold six of those. <laughs> Hell, I was I was giving them away with the tech card purchases just because I wanted to see them come into Valdosta. You know what I mean? And like, but dude, let me ask you. I don't know how many times at a race. Like, I'm sure that you always have. You're like me. You come up with these great ideas. And it's something that you're like. You know, this would be phenomenal to take this to take this sport to the next level. Listen for for. February, March, like for three or four months, I wanted to see 30 cars come up into the staging lanes, flying the RTC, TTFMF flags on their windows and, and see a shot of that, like in your magazine, you know, how cool would that be to have those cars coming around? Yeah, I, that didn't work out too good for me, Wes. 
Well, well I mean, hey, man, I it's the thought that counts, right? But I want to say, because that's a great thing to talk about, is that it's those little things. And I had an experience here a few weeks ago at the NHRA Spring Nationals in Houston, and it was a and I'm not trying to, to call anybody out, but it was a little bit of a heartbreaker because one thing that you do that I think is often overlooked is all those little things like all the attention immediately goes to 50, 60,000 bucks, right? Or $101,000. That's what everybody wants to talk about. But I would argue that the, the plaques, the, the leather hats, the swords, the bottles of champagne, the jackets, I think all that shit is way more important, but people, but people don't really, is that just your racing background that kind of got you saying, you know what, we need to give everybody something. We need to make sure that everybody feels involved because that's, that to me is the secret sauce when it comes to promoting a race, the pomp and circumstance, all the little extra stuff, the flags you're giving out with a tech card, whatever it is, that's the stuff that I don't see promoters doing enough of from the top to the bottom. Well, I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw the post I made the time with the boss X there. So Stephanie, this was happening to not this, not this last week, 16, but the one before, right? So she comes up with this great idea. She's like, you know, I'm going to handwrite every racer, this big thank you deal and put this thing in there and all that. Right. So she gives each one of them this deal. Not one person said anything, right? And so she's hot, right? And so the the race before that, listen, this is what's even funnier. So the race before that, she had come up with this idea. She goes, you know what? I'm going to take this picture of, I forget what it was, of the, of the race. You know, I don't know if it was an overhead shot. And she handwrites thank you notes to every sponsor. She sent every, she sent every sponsor whether it was Mickey Thompson, Race Pack, everybody, <laughs> not one response. <laughs> that one. I did. It's so I mean, funny. I did the same thing, and I'm not trying to bag on my racers, but I did the same thing after the World Series of Pro Mod last year. I got badass. I have. We have great photographers. We're blessed out there in Denver, and everybody is. But we have really a great group of photographers that come out and support our race. And. I went through and it took forever. I went through and personally picked like my favorite shots of each guy's race car, right? I got them printed, badass eight by tens. I got frames for them. I didn't buy cheap frames. I mean, I bought nice frames for every one of these and I wrote on them in Sharpie, like, thank you so much for being a part of my dream, blah, 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 blah. And sign my name, you know, thank you or whatever. And I went to the NHRA US Nationals like a month or two or three weeks after my race. And I personally handed these, these fucking things out. Right. And it was just like, thanks. You know what I mean? Like they would take it, but nobody, I thought people would like cry or something. I don't know. I wanted to see some tears. Um, I had like one guy, Harry Ruska, God bless him, former owner of Precision Turbo, one of my racers. He's come to both my events. He goes, he, he got a little choked up. He's like, man, that's, that's the, the best picture I've ever seen in my car. Thank you, Wes. That's, that's like the coolest thing anybody's ever done for me. But that was one guy out of 32, literally, or 28 that we had actually come to the race. That was literally, that was it. And I just, you know, it's whatever. And then there was a time I tore my calf muscle and I'm not like this. We sound like we're just bragging about all the cool shit we do, but it's funny, but we do, but we do do some cool shit. We do cool shit, man. And I tore my calf muscle, uh, a pretty significant tear in my calf muscle. The, the three weeks before the first world series of pro mod. So I took my kids swimming and they wanted to see dad jump off the swimming board. So dad or the diving board. So I'm going to be, you know, a badass, and I go jump off this diving board. And as soon as I, like, jump down, like, press down with my feet, I go, oh, no, I've hurt myself. So I'm flying through the air, hitting, getting ready to hit the water, and I'm like, I thought I was going to die. Like, I'm not trying to sound like a pansy, but I was in the most pain that I've probably ever felt in my life. So I swim over to the, to the, to the ladder, and I pull myself up, and my kids are like, good job, Dad. And I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to puke. Like, I'm in so much pain, I can't. So I go to stand up, and I can't stand. I just fall to the ground. So I drag myself over, and my kids are like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I'm like, nothing, nothing. I'm, Dad's fine, Dad's fine, don't worry. So I end up tearing my calf muscle. I'm on crutches for my first ever race. The first race I ever put on, I'm on crutches, right. and I can hardly walk, right? 
So before the first round of eliminations, I'm in Vandermeer Speedway on crutches, right? I can hardly move. I'm on so many painkillers. It's not even funny. I'm at Vandermeer in Denver in their staging lanes. You've been there. It's a hike. I mean, it's like vertical, you know, plus you're at 10,000 feet. I literally walked up the staging lanes to personally thank everybody that was in the first round of elimination. So I was going to go to every window. You know, these guys are all strapping in their cars, all my top sportsmen, all my top dragster guys, all my pro mod guys. And I wanted to go personally thank all of them for coming. So I'm hiking up the staging lanes and I get to like the first five cars and none of them even know who the hell I am. (laughs) They're like, what do you want? And I'm like, I just wanted to say thanks for coming. And they're like, well, okay. I come here all the time. <laughs> and I'm going, well, son of a bitch. Like, nobody, well, even, they don't even know who I am. I'm trying to thank them for that coming. How you feel? Oh, it was hilarious. Now, granted, I did have a couple of them. I had a couple guys and wives, like, really get really give me a, a, a lot of feedback on it and be like, man, that was awesome. We watched you hike all the way up there, you know, and we're sure you were in pain or whatever, but it was so funny. The first car I go to, this dude looks at me like I've got three heads. Like he's strapping into his car and he's like, why are you bothering me? What? Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Whatever. Leave me alone. You know? And it was just, it was so funny, man. But Hey man, no good deed goes unpunished, right? Hey, listen, I got one more to tell you. So I, I feel like, you know, Hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'm harassing these tuners and everything, you know, but you know what? And I think I talked to you about this before I even did it. I'm like, you know, what I really want to do is, is show some appreciation of these tuners, you know, and I'm going to go out and I had Jessica ultimate stitch, you know, do up all these jackets. Right. So I've got like 30, I probably another one of those flag deals. I probably got like $3,500 in these jackets. Right. That I, that I have Jessica make up. I can't even get those sorry dogs, all of them, to even come up to the starting line, Wes. I mean, they're fixing to get free stuff, and then later on, they're like, hey, uh, I didn't get my jacket, man. I had some stuff going on that morning. It's like, I mean, I kind of wanted that moment of the, the tears coming down and the, you know, man, you know, this is awesome to have everybody in one place. And, you know, and, you know, thank you, Duck, and thank you guys for, you know, making this take your sport to the next level. And, I, yeah, I didn't get that so much i totally know exactly what you mean man it's so funny because i've been through that deal myself and it's it it is funny because i don't know about you well i know you are like you're like me because you kind of create this vision of how it's gonna go right you get this idea like you said everybody's gonna come to the tower kind of all at once and it's gonna be this magical thing and everybody's gonna be talking about it it's gonna be so cool and i'm gonna you know we're gonna bro down and high five and hug and it then it doesn't happen, and it's so funny, man. It's it it really is. Uh, it's it's almost comical, and I appreciate you sharing it with me because I don't yeah, think people well, realize that that's that's how it goes, right? I mean, for all the home runs you have and all the yeah. the huge moments, there's plenty of times you you like fly out, yeah, right, well, or uh, strike and, and out. This, and this was and this was my biggest letdown. I pictured, I think we did twenty or so jackets, right? I pictured in my mind, kind of like what you're saying. I pictured 20 guys, you know, I had the first row kind of kneeling down, the people behind it, you know, all of our jackets on in front of the big, the big sweet 16 with all the tuners holding the class of 2019 signs on each side that I had done. And I thought, you know, how cool will that be to look back 10, 15 years from now and see 20 of the baddest tuners in one place at one time, all huddled together with their jackets and their and their class of 2019 signs. And oh, it would have been, not, man. It would have been that's awesome. Not, that's, instead, I got like six people at a table, and I'm not even sure how many people showed up to get. Oh, I'm, it's so funny, man. I'm still carrying around a thousand dollars of jackets in the trailer, I think. But anyway. <laughs> Dude, you've probably spent $50 million on jackets. I, oh, that's another thing. You know, this is the thing. You get people like Tommy Kirk from MacFab, and he loves the jacket. I mean, he, like, has even asked me, hey, man, you know, did I do something wrong because, you know, I didn't get my jacket? And so now it's like, hey, I'm going to make sure this guy gets his jacket. But there are others where I have made them their jackets, and that's not the same response that I get. You know, well, you know what, man, give somebody else my jacket. I got two of them. Or, or uh, and just, I don't know, it's kind of, it's, 
I don't know. I wish they just took it, not said anything. Because now, yeah, it's way better. Just take it. Just take it. Smile. Say thanks. Walk away. I felt bad when I told Stephanie, like, "Hey, someone's gonna have to ship these jackets to me because I brought a really small suitcase and I felt an inch tall." And then you busted my balls about it. But I told Stephanie, "Someone's got to ship these to me." You should have felt that big. I mean. I sat there with the thing. I got like eight jackets going back to Drag Illustrated and people <laughs> you've helped sponsor the race. And you leave and they're just jammed up in a tower. And I told her, please ship I these said, to me. I, there's I, no way I, I can get I them home. I told Stephanie, I said, I said, well, man, he really appreciated all that stuff, I guess. So anyway, I called your guy up, though, you know. And when I called up your man, you know, he's wanting to make sure he gets his jacket. Oh, he dude. Ain't like he ain't like Wes Buck. You know, he's got a closet full of jackets. You know, this man's like, Hey, I like to get my jacket, and I like to make sure Bill gets his jacket. Oh, no, so, there's no doubt about it. Mike couldn't wait <laughs> to get his, you know? And he, he ain't going to miss out on some free swag, man. There ain't no doubt about it. So cl- closing question, man. I appreciate Donald really seriously, man. This is the first one of these interviews that I've done for the podcast, and I knew – Whenever I kind of dreamt this deal up and I've been thinking about this, this is typical West Buck style that I've been, this is something that I've been wanting to do for about five or six years, literally where I'm going, I want to do uninterrupted, not dealing with any comments, not trying to talk to people on the internet, but like sit down and have really casual conversations with people that I think are making a difference in the sport of drag racing. And I appreciate you being the first one, man. I wanted to do the first one. I wanted you to be, I knew it needed to be somebody that had a lot of the people were going to want to hear from. And it's just kind of worked out that all this dramatic stuff has happened in recent weeks and you have all these events going on. So it's worked out perfectly. And I appreciate you taking the time to do this because this has been like a couple hours now that we spent doing this. The closing question I want to ask before we wrap this deal up and kind of put a bow on things. Tell me, where do you see this thing going? We're, we're in the 10th year of, of lights out. You've threatened to, to pull the plug. You've threatened to do different things. And, and there's been all this different. And you've said yourself that you didn't know that this is something you want to do forever. Where do you see this thing headed? Where do you see your promotional efforts going? Do you see things changing in the future? Is this, you want to ride it out as long as you can, or, or how do you see, or do you want to go out on top or, or how do you see this all shaken out? Well, I'll tell you, so I've talked over with, with Stephanie and my parents and, and, and I'll tell you this, I think that, um, I, I, I might go with the way it is for a couple more years. And then, you know, I'm not saying that maybe not go to just maybe two sweet 16 or, you know, something like that. You know what I mean? Like where you have um, a couple of the classes where, you know, we go in there and it's more of a, a one-on-one deal with the, with the fans and the, and the racers and, you know, and you're, maybe you're not dealing with seven or 8,000 people, you know, maybe you're dealing with 500 or a thousand people. Um, because I love the sport of drag racing, obviously, you know, I love the rate. I love the radio, you know, deal. I, I love the sponsors and everything. And I just don't know, you know, I, I mean, I would like to, I would like to sit here and, and, you know, another thing is that I don't know if I, if I left, I'm not sure radio racing would go where I want it to go, I guess, either, Wes. And I would feel like, you know, forget about the money and stuff. I would almost feel like I was letting down some people also. So, I, you know, I'd like to, you know, continue on like it is for a little while. But, you know, maybe maybe do one lights out and two Sweet 16 style races. Well, it's funny, man, because when you take this thing to the level that you have, Donald, there's almost a responsibility that comes with it because now you've gotten it to this point. You're paying all this money. You've set the precedent of all these guys, the jackets, the swords, the the big races, all the fans, the, the records, all the different things that you've kind of become associated with. And it's tough because you couldn't probably walk away with a clear conscience, right? Because who knows what would happen to all these, all these people that you've been such a big part of their life for so long. I would definitely feel like I let somebody down and that's, and I, I do talk to Stephanie about that, you know, and I tell her, I'm like, I just feel, you know, obviously somebody would step up and do something, but you know what I mean? Would it be the same? You know, it probably wouldn't be the same, you know, is someone going to put the same amount of time in it? You never know, you know, but I just, 
I I wouldn't think they would put the same amount of time in it. I could be wrong, you know, but I um you know, listen, when I raced and you raced on this is the thing. Forget about the money part. We're all going to spend the money, and a lot of the guys that run RVW, they don't need the money anyway. But you forget about RVW. You know, take X275 or Ultra Street or Pro 275 or Outlaw 632. You know, those guys getting jackets or, or getting, you know, we make it to where everybody gets, they're getting all the same trophies, the same jackets. You know, the money might be less, you know, that you're winning. But, you know, when I went, like when we would win, whether it was three or four or $5,000, really, I would be more interested in the jacket and the trophy or the ring or, or something, you know, it wasn't really the, it wasn't really about the money to me, you know, it draws the attention, but you know, really it's, that's not really what it's about. I agree a hundred percent, man. And I tell you what, Donald, you will, no matter what happens next, if you, if you go to the sweet 16 style races, which I think would be awesome or whatever happens next for you guys, you and Stephanie and Stephanie and the whole team, I tell you what, it's going to be a hard act to follow. I'm going to sound like a fanboy. But it's true, man. Drag racing's been different and been blessed by your presence, and it's been fun to watch it all unfold. And you may get everybody stirred up. And I tell you what, there's been times you've had me stirred up, and you've there's been times we've we've butted heads on stuff. But I really I appreciate what you do for the sport of drag racing. I appreciate anybody that cares about it as much as you do and tries as hard as you do, man. I I appreciate it a lot. Thank you, man. I appreciate that, brother. You know we. I try my best. Sometimes I do stupid things or say things I probably shouldn't, but I, I guess I just, I, I guess it's like if you believe or you feel something so badly, you know, sometimes maybe you, maybe you do push the limits of what you say or what you do, but you know, maybe it's just the way you're feeling. And, you know, maybe a lot of people don't, you know, maybe if we all knew how everybody was feeling, you know, it, it wouldn't be as bad sometimes as the way things are. Sometimes things go a lot further than they should because we don't know how people are feeling. I agree a hundred percent, man. So I guess the next thing on the, you've got a whole summer to kind of cool off before, before no mercy. What is this? No mercy nine, 10, 10. No, my gosh, no mercy. <laughs> yeah, 10, it man. It's funny how time flies. So give us real quick. The dates, no mercy. 10 it's October. October 17th to the 20th. Uh, unfortunately, it falls on the PDRA deal. You know, I, I really, I really, you know, would love to work with the PDRA more than, you know, to work against them, obviously. I think that we could have some cool crossover things happening. So I'm going to try to make sure from here on out that we, uh, that we stay off of their deal also to, uh, from, for future. And hopefully we can get everybody together, you know, and race together. Sounds like a plan to me, brother. I appreciate it, dude. Killer dude, bro, man. I think we, I think we kicked that deal's ass. This is gonna. People are gonna eat this fucking deal up with a spoon. I hope so, man. You know, I, I hope 